But as we look at this idea of redemption and, and, and something for us to remember as believers, I, I love going into this idea of being redeemed because um, ultimately we stood before God as guilty. We stood guilty before him because of sin. Whether our own sin, regardless, the sin of Adam was passed on to us. And certainly I don't think anybody in here is without sin. Did any of you guys before you came to Christ not sin? Okay, so I think we're all on the same page. So this idea, we all stood before God as guilty. As those who don't know Christ stand before him as guilty because of sin. And there was a price that had to be paid. There had to be a price exacted for sin. And that's what Jesus Christ did. The Bible says he went to the cross because he loved us. He demonstrated, God demonstrated his love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. He sheds his blood on that cross. And that shed blood then covers over the sins that if we leave that big circle and believe on what he said and what he did, we would enter that little circle and be forgiven of our sins once and for all. Abounding in Faith is the broadcast ministry of Emmanuel Bible Church of Howell, New Jersey. If you are blessed by this message, please subscribe to our podcast or YouTube channel. You can also download our app by searching for IBCNJ in the Google Play Store or the Apple Store. For more information, please visit us at www.ibcnj.org. Our speaker today is Pastor Mike Tapia. So we're going to stay standing for the reading in God's Word. We're looking at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to go ahead and read verses 3 down through 14. Ephesians 1, 3 down through 14. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, that he lavished on us in the Beloved One. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. In him we have also received an inheritance, because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will, so that we, who already put our hope in Christ, might bring praise to his glory. In him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for your grace, your mercy, your love that you lavish upon us, Father. 
We thank you for this morning, the opportunity that we have to come together to worship you, to praise you corporately, and Father, to hear your word. And we pray that through the power of your spirit, that you would help us to understand and know you better, Father, that you would lead us through this text. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, you may be seated. So let me ask you guys a question. How many of you here today have ever compared yourself to someone else? Okay, so, so we recognize something here. I mean, think about this. Social media. Social media is great for this. Because you get on there and you start scrolling through all those little pages, right? And, and, and as you scroll, one of two things happens here. One, you start to feel really good about yourself because you're not that person. Or you don't lack what that person lacks. Or you start to feel really bad about yourself because you don't have what that person has. Or you're not what that person is. You know, um, this whole idea... This whole idea is something that we all have a tendency to do. We have a tendency to compare ourselves to others. You know, Mark Twain said that comparison is the death of joy. Comparison is the death of joy. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in that saying, if you really start to think what comparison is doing. Comparison is the death of joy. According to psychologists, Comparing ourselves to others is ultimately destructive because we're either feeling bad about ourselves for what we don't have or we're feeling good about ourselves over what another person does not have. Um, either way, it's going to lead us down the wrong path. So in this context, what exactly is it that we're comparing ourselves to? Well, to name a few things, deal with wealth, fame, accomplishments, education, family life, health, vacations, home, furnishings, and on and on and on the list goes. But the key for us, the key for us is to realize that these things, the things that we're basing our comparison on are temporal. These things that we're basing our comparisons on are temporal. They're fading away. They're passing away. They're not going to last. But here in Ephesians, here we see that not only are we looking at the idea of a temporal blessing, but we're really looking at the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ as his children. The scripture says, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavens in Christ. And every spiritual blessing. And when I was reading this text, the, 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 the word that stands out here is the word every. In, in other translations, it's the word all. So we don't see the scripture saying something like this. Um, you have partial blessings in Christ, or you have some blessings in Christ. What is the word? It says you have all, or you have every spiritual blessing blessing. And these, unlike the temporal fleeting blessings that are passing away, these spiritual blessings remain forever and ever and ever. These are blessings that God has bestowed upon his children from now through eternity. If you ever get the feeling bad about yourself, 
I challenge you to carefully read these passages we're going to discuss today. There's an old gospel hymn that states it in this way. You may be a beggar, have nothing to wear, or eat at a table without one crumb to spare. You may live in mansion, all the world may know your name, but at the foot of the cross, my friend, everyone stands the same. But at the foot of the cross, everyone stands the same. So this morning, we're going to take a look at those wonderful spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. And I was talking to Pastor Mikey earlier this morning, and the reality is, is each one of these blessings that Paul lists is going to be a sermon in itself. So we're not going to be able to cover everything like that in depth. But I do want to highlight this because the reality is, is as Paul writes about these spiritual blessings and he lists them out, it's important for us to recognize exactly what these are. And certainly we can meditate on them throughout the day, throughout the weeks, continuously, and certainly study deeper into them. But I want to give um, the overall view in the verses today. So if we look at verse 4. Starts out by saying, For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. So we see the first spiritual blessing here the Apostle Paul is mentioning to the church at Ephesus is that they have been chosen. That they have been chosen. And, and I believe there's a lot of misconceptions out there about this word chosen and what it looks, and what it signifies. So here we need to take a little close look at who Paul is addressing. In verse 1, the same chapter, we see that he's speaking to the faithful saints at Ephesus. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by God's will, to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus. In other words, he's speaking to believers. He's speaking to believers. He's referring to them as chosen of God. So what exactly does chosen mean? Well, in the simplest sense of the word, it means to pick. It means to select out of a group. But I don't think it means, or he's meaning to be understood as picking individually. I mean, for example, we were all kids once, right? How many of you guys were all kids once? Right, this is participation. How many of you are all kids? Okay, we were all kids once, and, and, and at one time or another, I'm sure, I'm sure most of us have experienced the agony of gym class. When the teacher picks two captains, and you're not one of them, and you're sitting there waiting, waiting, and hoping that you're not the last one to be picked, right? I don't believe that this is what it is referring to. Right? It's not referring to that because this is referring to those who have already been picked. Right? He's talking to the church. They've already been picked. He's already set the church apart for his glory. So I want you to have a little exercise, a mind illustration here. So I want you to picture this in your mind's eye. I'm going to try to explain how I understand this idea chosen to be. Picture, I right, close your eyes. Mind's eye, so you can't look at me. Close your eyes. Picture a big, big circle. And this big circle represents the world. Okay, now in the middle of this big, big circle, picture another smaller circle. This represents the church or the body of Christ. 
Now, with that image in mind, we're all familiar with John 3.16. That reads, For God so loved the world, big circle, for God so loved the world, the big circle, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him, little circle, whoever believes in him, little circle, would not perish, but have eternal life. So, open your eyes. So you got this big circle, and you got this little circle. The big circle involves the world. The little circle involves the church. When you look at the way the verses are listed out, how do you go from the big circle into the small circle? How do you get there? Belief. Belief in Christ. Believing in Christ takes you out of the big circle and moves you into the little circle. Whosoever believes, belief takes you there. You know, um, Vernon McGee has a pretty interesting illustration here on the idea of whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He tells a story about a gentleman who was ill and he had a terrible disease. And, and this gentleman with a terrible disease finds himself in the hospital. And while he's in the hospital, the doctor confirms the diagnosis and tells him, you have a terrible disease. Um, in fact, it's such a terrible disease, you're probably going to die with it. However, I have some good news for you. There's an antidote to this disease. There's a cure for this disease, and it's found in this little dark jar. If you were just to take what's in this jar, the disease would go away and you'd be cured. I'm going to leave this jar on your bedside. So the doctor leaves the jar there. The man ponders it for a while, looks at the jar, decides not to take it because he didn't trust what the doctor was telling him and he didn't trust in the cure. So this man, a couple of days later, finds himself dead. The coroner has to write up the death certificate. So on the death certificate, he writes, cause of death, terrible disease. But was that the cause of his death? What was the cause of this man's death? It was his unbelief. He didn't believe that the antidote, that the cure, would stop this terrible disease, so he went to his death with the terrible disease. But that wasn't the cause. It was his unbelief. A few weeks ago, we had an opportunity to speak to a gentleman, very humble, beautiful man, um, who was facing a diagnosis of a terrible disease. And, and the same thing the doctors told him, this terrible disease has progressed to the extent that you're probably going to die with this disease. Um, in conversation with him and talking to him, like I said, he's a really beautiful man, very humble. Um, he was already probably, I would say, in his late 60s, early 70s. He had lived a pretty good part of his life. And I was asking him about death. Um, did he fear death? Was he afraid of what this looked like? And he said to me, I'm not afraid of death because I think most people fear death. They're fearing what they're leaving that they're leaving their family, they're leaving their wife, they're leaving things undone. And he said, I've completed a lot of things in my life. I've accomplished a lot of things in my life already. Um, my family has grown up. My children have grown up well. I've left them plenty of things. Um, so I don't have that fear of death. So I'm at peace with that idea. I said, but let me ask you another question. Are you at peace with what happens after death? And he said, no. No idea what was happening after death. 
right? He recognized that there was something, and there was definitely a fear of what that was looking like. So guess what? Had a little brown vial to share with him. And we shared the gospel, the gospel message, the cure for the terrible disease of sin, and certainly the assurance of what an eternal future looks like. This man humbly and gladly received the gospel message, and he accepted Christ as his Savior. And, and unlike the example here in Vernon McGee's illustration, the man who chose not to believe and died with this terrible disease, this gentleman accepted Christ as his Savior, and he chose to accept life. And not only now did he have peace leaving this planet because of what he's left, but now he has peace where he's going. And that's the key, isn't it? This is the picture of the temporal and the spiritual. The temporal and the spiritual. You know, in doing this um, study, I, I ran across an article about Steve Jobs. I guess I'll say his name, Steve Jobs. And what he basically was stating at his deathbed, for the most part. He was, if you don't know him, the co-founder of Apple, I believe. And he died of pancreatic cancer when he was 56 years old. And some of the things that he was saying towards his end of his life about this idea of accumulation. And I actually took a, a photo of the thing so I could read it to you. Um, so let's see, technology doesn't fail, which is awesome. So here it says, um, so he dies a billionaire, $7 billion worth. He dies a billionaire at 56 of pancreatic cancer. And some of his last words on his sickbed, he says, I reached the pinnacle of success in the business world. In others' eyes, my life is an epitome of success. However, aside from work, I have little joy. In the end, wealth is only a fact of life that I am accustomed to. At this moment, lying on the sickbed and recalling my whole life, I realize that all the recognition and wealth that I took so much pride in have paled and become meaningless in the face of impending death. We see this in the scriptures. There was somebody else, probably more famous than Steve Jobs, that wrote something in Ecclesiastes. Right? Solomon, the wisest man, the wealthiest man. And he comes to the conclusion of life, which was what? First of all, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. It's all vanity. These temporal things that we compare ourselves to, they're all meaningless. They're all vanity. And in the end, it, uh, Solomon comes to the conclusion that the only thing that's worth it, the only thing that's worth it is to live and to give glory to God, to live our lives for him. Right? That's the end of it all, he says. So when you look at this idea of comparison and chosen, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you're here and you know Christ as your Savior, you are chosen. Because you also made a choice. You left the world, you received the gospel message, and you came into the little circle the church. And all these promises that Paul has that we're going to talk about this morning are for you. So why would we compare ourselves to what we don't have in this life when we have everything in heaven, right? In Christ.
You see, God chose his church to be holy and blameless, in love before him as a way to bring him glory, as well as a vehicle of blessing to the world. You get that? He chose us as a church to bring himself glory, but also that the church would be a vehicle of blessing to the world around us. Whosoever will means that just like that gentleman in the hospital, having the remedy yet choosing not to take it, the one we saw in Vernon McGee's example, that God so loved the world, that through Christ, each and every person alive today who has lived in the past or who will live in the future have a choice to make. That'll take them from being part of the world, the big circle, separated from God, to being members of the chosen little circle, the church in Christ. So the first blessing that Paul starts out with, reminding the Ephesians, and it's probably almost enough, right? I mean, this is probably the only blessing we really need to know anyway, is that they were chosen. They were chosen for a purpose and a plan to be part of God's great picture, the church. Then we go down to uh, verses 5 and 6. And he says, He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us and the beloved one. So the second spiritual blessing Paul mentions here is that as believers, they have been predestined to adoption, chosen, adopted. The predestined is applied here, again, to the body of Christ. That as members of the body, they have been predestined to adoption. The word adoption is the Greek word here, and I probably can't pronounce it. I even wrote it out phonetically. I'm probably still not going to pronounce it right. But it's we athesia, we athesia, thesia, and we're not going to spell it. Okay? Um, but means to be adopted as children. The word means to be adopted as children. Uh, Romans 8.15 we read, You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Historians report that in the first century, due to the famines, due to the wars and the various hardships, that there would be many, many orphaned children found in that time frame. And those who remained on their own, unadopted, would more than likely end up as slaves without many rights. Some of them would have been part of the newly formed churches. But, but here Paul is reminding them that if they are in Christ, right, even though physically they may not have been adopted, though physically they may still find themselves in slavery, well, Paul is reminding them that they have been adopted into the family of God, no longer slaves in a spiritual sense, but free, and not just free, but holding all the rights afforded the children of God, if not in this life, but the life to come. And I think there's an incredible spiritual point here, because the reality is, is that no matter what situation we find ourselves in physically here, it's temporal. Whether we're dealing with lack of something, lack of resources, whether we're dealing with lack of health, whether we're dealing with difficult scenarios, situations around us, the point being is that in Christ, we have all these blessings already because we've been adopted as his children, right? Uh, I say this very many times, but most of us in this room, we're not going to be here in 100 years. It's pretty, pretty, pretty good 
um, estimation, unless somebody's like a superhuman, or, or maybe, maybe Elon Musk comes up with something and everybody's living forever, I don't know. But, but the reality is, 100 years, we're all out of here, regardless of that. But recognizing that this temporal struggle is exactly that. It's temporal. And in Christ, not only have we been chosen, but we've been adopted. We are part of his family. Next one, three. Verses seven and eight. In him, so we have chosen, we have adopted. In him, we have redemption. Redemption through his blood. This can almost count as two. Redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins or our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. So we see chosen, adopted, and now redeemed. Right? And this word redeemed is defined as a liberation affected by the payment of a ransom. Liberation affected by the payment of a ransom. In short, the blood of Christ served as payment for the ransom of death that had been passed on down to all mankind through Adam's sin. Romans 5, 12 through 15. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death spread to all, because all sinned. In fact, sin was in the world before the law, but sin is not charged to the one's account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression. He is a prototype of the coming one. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if by the one man's trespass the many died, how much more have the grace of God and gift overflowed to the many by he, the one man, Jesus Christ. Redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Chosen, adopted, and redeemed. I don't think we need any more, and yet there are more, right? I don't think we need any more, but there are more. But as we look at this idea of redemption, and, and, and something for us to remember as believers, I, I love going into this idea of being redeemed because um, ultimately we stood before God as guilty. We stood guilty before him because of sin, whether our own sin Regardless, the sin of Adam was passed on to us, and certainly I don't think anybody in here is without sin. Did any of you guys, before you came to Christ, not sin? Okay, so I think we're all on the same page. So this idea, we all stood before God as guilty, as those who don't know Christ stand before him as guilty because of sin. And there was a price that had to be paid. There had to be a price exacted for sin. And that's what Jesus Christ did. The Bible says he went to the cross because he loved us. He demonstrated, God demonstrated his love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. He sheds his blood on that cross. And that shed blood then covers over the sins that if we leave that big circle and believe on what he said and what he did, we would enter that little circle and be forgiven of our sins once and for all. Not because of anything that we did, not because of anything that we uh, um, are able to accomplish, but because of what he did for us, the redemption. He bought us back, right? He paid the price. It was exacted on the cross, 
And Jesus paid it for us all. And we have been redeemed. So when we stood guilty at one time before him, we don't stand guilty before him now. That itself is a gift. Because how many of you guys still sin? I mean, I'm a pastor, so I I can't do that. Let's get one up, right? I mean, we all do. But we've been forgiven. We've been redeemed as far as the east is from the west. That is an amazing gift that God has given us. So when you ever get feeling bad about yourself again, remember, it could be a whole lot worse. It could be a whole lot worse. You could be living unredeemed, right? You could be living in rebellion to God putting your fist up and saying, I don't need you. And then when you leave this earth without Christ, we know that an eternity of suffering and torment and hell awaits. Right? We don't wish that on anyone. But we can be grateful that we stand redeemed. Spiritual blessing. Chosen. Adopted. Redeemed. Redeemed. Then we're going to go down um, verses 11 and 12. I'm going to actually skip one section because I don't have enough time to even develop or to pretend to develop it. But it does say another blessing that we have is that he has revealed to us the mysteries of his will. The mysteries of his will. But I'm not going to go into details on all that at this point. But we're going to jump down to the next section, verses 11 through 12. So we have chosen, adopted, redeemed. Verse 11 to 12. In him we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will, so that we, who have already put our hope in Christ, might bring praise to his glory. Though Paul doesn't specify just what this inheritance looks like, we can be assured that as 1 Peter 1 states, it will be an inheritance that's unperishable, it's undefiled, and it's unperishable fading, kept in heaven for you. So unlike any earthly inheritance, which will eventually perish and fade away in time, the inheritance reserved in the kingdom will not. Hebrews 9.15 says, Therefore he is mediator of the new covenant, so that those that are called might receive the promise of the eternal inheritance, because death has taken place for redemption from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. So back to the idea that I mentioned at the start of the message. Too often we compare ourselves to others. And in terms of an inheritance, that's no exception. Why would that get a pass? Of course, let's compare inheritances. I was reading a survey conducted, and it stated that the top 1% of inheritance recipients Average $719,000, while the bottom 50% received $9,700, okay, comparisons. But even the largest figure there pales in comparison to the inheritance we all have in Christ. Doesn't matter, right? Listen to what uh, Steve Jobs had said, $7 billion, what did it do for him in the end? And unfortunately, from everything I read, I tried to read and tried to find if at any point we had seen him give his heart to Christ or, or, or begin to believe in anything's eternal. It doesn't seem like he did. It doesn't seem like he did. Now, only God knows the heart of the man um, 
and, and certainly it would not be our desire that he would not have accepted Christ. But I believe that in all that he had and all that he had amassed and all he had accumulated, he failed to understand and recognize the most important thing, which are the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. And we have a responsibility, right? We know what it is. You know, it's like, it's like we know exactly what the cure is. It's like you have the vial in that little dark jar. You have that vial. It's in your pocket at all times, right? Check your pockets. I guarantee it's in there. You all have one. I mean, you may not know it, but it's there. You all have that little vial. And we're walking around in a world of people who have a terrible disease. The same disease that we were cured of, right? Why would we withhold the cure when we have it? We have a little vial, right? Whenever we speak to people, we should be speaking to them of these eternal truths. Why? Because no matter how much they've amassed, it's temporal and it's passing away. We know that. And we don't know how much time they have. We don't know how much time we have. So we have the cure. We need to use that. All right, so a short recap here um, before we look at the last spiritual blessing listed in the text. We have been chosen. We have been adopted as sons and daughters. Okay, Adopted as sons and daughters into the family of God, never to be released into the family of God. We have been redeemed and forgiven by his blood. We have salvation through Christ, through no other manner, through his grace, but we have been redeemed. We've been made known uh, to know the mystery of his will. We have been made heirs of an eternal inheritance. Of an eternal inheritance. See, if we truly comprehend and appropriate ourselves of these promises, how, how can we ever feel bad about ourselves again? Right? I challenge you that whenever you're tempted to feel less inadequate, whether it's because you don't have this, you don't have that, or you don't look like this, or you don't look like that, or you haven't done this and you haven't done that. Whenever you get yourself feeling in that zone of comparison, which I believe is a real, real, real big dart from the enemy that shoots at every single one of us, I challenge you, take out your Bibles. Read Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, and remind yourselves of all you have in Christ. In fact, memorize that scripture. It's not hard to memorize scripture if you work at it. Memorize Ephesians 1 through uh, 14, 3 through 14. So when you're feeling bad about yourself, you can get to the text and let God renew your mind. Let him transform your mind. Don't conform yourself to the patterns of thinking of the world as the scripture says. Be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Allow the word of God to renew you. So that when you walk out of here and out there and whenever you're feeling bad about yourself, hold your head up high. You are a child of God with all spiritual blessings. And not just that, you're carrying the antidote and the cure for the rest of the world. That's a crazy, amazing thing that God has given us. Not only has he given us all these spiritual blessings for us to enjoy, but he's also made us co-laborers with him that we can go out and share the amazing blessings that he's given us with those who need to know about these blessings, who in humanity we recognize we love because they're dying and going to a place for eternity separated from God, as the Bible calls it, as a hell. Right? So we have that. We have all these blessings to encourage us to then go out and encourage others. Right? That's the idea. All right? So now, that was the recap of those. Let's look at the last one. Let's look at the last one. And the last spiritual blessing that Paul lists here, 
he says, serves as a deposit and a guarantee. In verse 13, 14, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. In him you were sealed. I love that picture, sealed. Right? What does that mean? That means that you are his. When you look at the context of that word sealed and how they used the word sealed back in that time, contextually, it was actually somehow they would take like a wax, uh, a melted wax and place it on a letter or a scroll of, of, of whatever you want to call it they were using at the time. And they would melt the wax to keep it closed and then they would seal it with a signet ring that said that this is who owned this. And with that signet ring came all the authority of that individual who signed it and sealed it. And, and ultimately what God is telling the, the, the believing church in Ephesus, as well as I believe in application to us, if we are his children, we have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us, and that is a promise, and that is a guarantee of all these promises in the heavenlies that we already contain here on earth, if we appropriate ourselves of that. Right? We could be living in the, the most remotest part of the earth, living in a little garbage heap, and have all these spiritual blessings that God has given. Right? Because the ground is level at Calvary. It's in here. How do, we, how do we accept these things? How do we view these things? How do we view ourselves in light of it? I think the world wants to ultimately make us feel horrible about ourselves. That's why comparisons are so dangerous. Because no matter how much you have, or no matter how much you've accomplished, you haven't accomplished that. Right? Or no matter how much you don't have, whatever you haven't accomplished, you feel bad about yourself either way, right? So no matter where you put yourself, it's very dangerous to compare ourselves. And the point I was trying to get across when I was studying this and trying to convey it is just the beauty of what we have in Christ. Right? The beauty of what we have in Christ. If we could just focus on everything we have in Him, none of us would be worried about what we don't have on this life. And we would be so excited about everything we have in Him that it should be pouring out of us and spilling out of us, telling other people so that they can have that as well. Right? So remember, anytime you're feeling down, bad about yourself, go to Ephesians. Read these texts over and over again. I believe you're going to have to read them over and over again because we are like little sheep, right? We're kind of dopey. We're going to walk out of here feeling pretty good about ourselves. Look at everything I have in Christ. When we hit the parking lot, I said, but I don't have that Mercedes. But that's a much nicer truck than mine. You know, hmm. So we're dopey, right? Let's remind ourselves continuously all we have in Christ. You've been chosen, you've been adopted, you've been redeemed, you've been made known to know the mysteries of his will. You have an inheritance, you're heirs, and you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Guaranteeing, guaranteeing that what God has said will come to pass in our lives. Right? So let's take that forward with us. Let's challenge us forward as we go. Feeling grateful, obviously, for what he's done but knowing that we have all this in Christ, all this in Christ, and leave encouraged. If you're here and you don't have Christ, or if you're listening and you never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, then um, 
I have really bad news for you. You don't have any of these things. But if you want them, you can leave the big circle. Believe on Jesus Christ. Believe what he did for you on the cross. Confess your sins. Repent. Turn to him. And you could enter the little circle. The church. The chosen. And receive all these blessings that he has for you. And for the rest of us who know Jesus Christ. Let's go out there with that little vial. Take that little dark vial. Let's start sharing that with the world who's lost and dying, who needs that hope. And let's never feel bad about ourselves again. If, if you're in a family and you have a sister or your brother or a wife or a spouse that starts feeling bad about themselves again, remind them out of Ephesians, to read Ephesians, all we have in Christ. And let's never compare ourselves to the world. Let's just compare ourselves to this book, right? And receive the blessings that he has for us. Let's pray. And worship team, you guys could come and do your worship. Um, we're going to close. And as you um, worship and as you sing praises to the King of Kings, just give him thanks. Give him thanks for all these things that we have in Christ. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you. Uh, God, you're an amazing God. Thank you for all the blessings that you've given us. Help us not to forget them um, when it's so easy for us to forget. Father, help reminding us through the Holy Spirit that we would be a light in this world that we would go out and share this glorious gospel message and the answer and the antidote and the remedy, uh, which is uh, your son Jesus, Father. Thank you, Lord. But most of all, we just want to thank you for all the blessings that you have given us. And we ask that you would forgive us for forgetting, that you would forgive us for striving after things that have no value, Father. And help us strive after you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the previous message. We pray that you were blessed by it. For more information, please visit us at www.ibcnj.org.